everybody, I'm Kate Conroy. And I'm Vinny Sabatella. And this is Other People's Business, which is the podcast from the New Jersey Business and Industry Association, the largest statewide business association in the country. We release a new episode every other Wednesday, so be on the lookout for that. And Vinny, I think you have some housekeeping matters to discuss. Yeah. <laughs> sure this this podcast is available just about anywhere you can get it that's itunes google play amazon's tune in we even throw these things up on youtube if you'd rather watch than listen but no matter how you check this show out give it some love give it that like give it that comment give it that five star review on itunes helps our fragile egos in the middle of the night when we're sitting there wondering <laughs> does anybody really like our show but with all of that out of the way our awesome guest today from eisner amper is mary rizzuti mary for the sake of the audience that's not seeing our faces right now say hi let the audience hear your voice hi everyone mary rizzuti compensation resources part of eisner amper advisory group awesome to have you welcome you. all right so today's icebreaker is what are you currently binging and i am happy to go first um i actually am re-watching a bunch of stuff right now but the thing that keeps kicking me in the head with their promos is gen v uh, the spinoff from the men, the man, the men, it's the man, I don't, it's that superhero show where all the good guys are actually bad guys. The uh, boys. Prime. The boys. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't know they made a that spinoff. Was close. Of that. Yeah. Was, yeah. Super <laughs> close. Right. Yeah. The boys. Um, it's a spinoff called Gen V, which is the name of the drug that turns people into superheroes. And it's, right. it's all about the, so they, turn babies into superheroes and then those babies have to go through like school the school system um and so it's a special high school for these special kids and and are they all jerks because first of all high school is just all jerks anyway Uh, but on top of that yeah like everybody on that show that is a superhero is a complete jerk awful yeah awful yeah they're all entitled and they're all yeah so I haven't started binging it yet, but I'm planning to this weekend. And so I'm very much looking forward to seeing who are the jer- jerks and who are not the jerks. Because I feel like it's going to be a lot of jerks. I feel oh. like it's going to be everybody. I know, right? But <laughs> I why think on the be- other show, there's only like one or two people that are not jerks. Like, And even they right. have like their moments, you know? That's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's the plan for this weekend. I'm going to binge that whole thing. As long as cool. it's all available. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mary, what are you, what you watching? Well, my first question is, do you reserve time in your weekends to do this binging? Because this is new to me. And being <laughs> ca- caught with COVID, was I able to ever binge anything? Yeah. Uh, so so I'm, I'm a binge learner right now. But what, I, <laughs> but what I did binge was Emily in Paris, and I loved it. It was fun, fashion, freedom, light, airy, and you know, tons of opportunity and just a feel good type of uh, binge watch. So that's, that's, I went halfway through morning show and then I have a lot of, I've touched a few and never finished any. So I have a running list, but I think at the top of my list would be Emily in Paris. Love it. I've been really meaning to watch the morning show. I, when I first heard about it, I thought that it was a legitimate morning show where they got Jennifer <laughs> Aniston to do something like that. I didn't realize it was a fictional TV show. So now that I know that that's the case, uh, I, I think I'm a little bit more inclined to check it out. I want to see it. Yeah. When you said that you're a binge learner, um, what before the pandemic, I was really into binging audiobooks 
it during my commute. When my commute went away during the pandemic, my audiobook listening went down significantly. But what are you doing to binge learn? I am actually trying to pencil in time on the weekends to watch television. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. (laughs) So I'm guessing you mean like um, non-fictional educational television? Any television. We just really don't have a ton of time. Gotcha. I have a 98-year-old dad who lives an hour and a half away from me. So we visit him quite often on the weekends. And so there just really isn't a whole lot of time. And we're active. We like to do outdoor activities. But I think with the winter coming, I'm going to pencil this in on my weekends. Yeah. Cool. I love it. You've got other priorities, but that's okay. You can watch a little TV, especially in winter. (laughs) Benny, what are you watching? Well, I'm still doing Modern Family because Modern Family, there's so many seasons of that show. Oh, and, you know, it, it, the episodes are short, but I, I can't fit like a ton of them in a day. But I figured for the sake of talking about something new, I am watching Ahsoka. I, I don't know if you've been. Oh, no, I got rid of Disney because they they hiked the price. Yeah. And I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Ahsoka is a is a weird show to talk about because um. Normally, when you watch something that is a continuation of something else, they would put something in the beginning like, here's everything you need to know about that other thing previously on blah, blah, blah. Ahsoka is the continuation of like 10, 15 years worth of Disney XD kids cartoons now into a live action series. And they do nothing to try to catch you up on all of that. So if like you haven't watched at the very minimum, like the last three years worth of like 10 year old cartoons at this point like you are just going to be like who are these people and what are they doing and why do they care you know but for the people who have watched it all it is cool i mean like it's it's nice to see because like those old cartoons ended on something of i don't want to say cliffhanger but like something like that and it's it's nice that they're finally resolving it and in live action where it's you know a big budget kind of thing. I think the one thing that I dislike about it is just how much Star Wars is being shoved down my throat by Disney in the last few years. Like when I was a kid, it was special. You know, yeah. it was it was something that wasn't around all that often at all, you know, and then it, it came back and it was like, all right, but then it went away for a while and then, you know, it yep. came back. So now that it, they just keep pushing it on me, I'm like, Kind of like Mary, like I, I want to carve out time to watch stuff. I don't need it to keep being Marvel and Disney like over and over again because they're making stuff like every other week. But part of me is like, I can't not watch if they're making new Star Wars shows, you know, like it's it's a weird conundrum that I'm stuck in. I, That's I a good that. point, though, when you start to think about it. There is so much Star Wars-ish type yeah. of materials out there. Yes. Not even type of, just Star Wars specifically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's just, it it it's not special anymore when it doesn't go away. I, I don't know how long I want it to go away, but I want it to go away. That's that's where I'm coming from right now. So I think you articulated my my problem with star wars like i the reason it was so easy for me to cancel disney is because it's not special anymore and the quality isn't across the board consistently great yeah so like why like i'll just especially with marvel i can't even tell you how many completely useless marvel series they've made on disney plus there have been some good ones but like I watched Werewolf by Night and I was like, what what am I doing with my life right now? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, this doesn't tie into anything. This is what am I doing? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a um, shame. But speaking of werewolves by night, because that has nothing to do with anything, <laughs> this is a terrible segue. Mary, tell me about Eisner Amper. So Eisner Amper is a public accounting firm, and they have uh, an advisory group. And compensation resources is part of that advisory group. The advisory group has over 30 different service lines in it. And we have compensation resources and human resources uh, consulting and advisory work. So that's the work that I lead uh, within the firm. Help me out. What is a, what is a compensation resource? Yeah. So... Many people will think it's workers' compensation. We've gotten a lot of requests for that, but it really is a specialization in human resources. So anything you can think of that relates to pay, base salary, bonus, performance management, um, salary administration, uh, sales compensation, incentive comp, anything that has to do with pay is what we do. And what we do is pay equity, pay transparency, market competitiveness. Um, some recruiters will reach out to us and say, what is the going rate for this position? What does the comp package look like? Is it bonus eligible? So anything that has to do with pay is what we do. And that's a specialization of human resources. So on the human resources side, we may do a fractional HR uh, initiative where we are a company's part-time HR resource. We may do project-based work like employee handbooks, job description writing, payroll benefits administration. So there really isn't any company that doesn't really need us or kind of touch us in some way. That's fascinating. So you can be like, um, so whether or not somebody uses Eisner as their accounting firm, I mean, if they do, it's an it's a warmer introduction. But even if they don't, you can be somebody's outside HR person, their outside HR office, right? Yes, yes, and compensation as well. So somebody will uh, Google compensation consultant. We'll come up in the search. They'll reach out to us. They'll articulate their issue and challenge to us, and then they'll engage us to solve that problem. Nice. That's really and it's cool. becoming it's interesting because it's almost becoming something where almost every company now has a comp consultant um, in that it's so specialized and there are so many risk mitigators that we can kind of trigger for companies that HR professionals are seeing where the specialization is needed. So even if you're an HR business partner, you may reach out to a comp analyst for that technical expertise. That's fascinating. I didn't know that comp analyst was even a career. That's, and now I'm also thinking to myself, there are all of these online you know, resources. I'm thinking of Glassdoor. Um, and I'm wondering how accurate they are because they, that's just an algorithm, right? You plug in a few data points and it tells you where you should fall. But do you have any thoughts on, on those algorithms? And, you know, as opposed to somebody whose career it is to, to analyze this stuff? I do. So Glassdoor many times is self-reported. So I can go in there and really put anything that I want. It's also reported by recruiters. So just because I negotiated a certain package doesn't necessarily mean that that's the market for the comp. 
So we have an on-site library of over 3,000 surveys. We purchase all of our data, and it's empirical data. So the data has been scrubbed, and it's entered by specific companies. So we can break it down by industry, by revenue size, and it's real data. And then we can feel confident in any of the analyses that we do because we're starting from a good spot. Leveraging your comment about you didn't know that this was a career, I will tell you, finding comp analysts are, is not an easy feat. So we have taken people who majored in math and decided they didn't want to be an actuary, they didn't want to be a math teacher, and we have trained them into the comp realm. Uh, some economics majors, we can turn them into comp analysts if we need to, but it certainly is interesting. We have many new graduates that come in and say, I didn't even know this was a thing. Cornell has um, a school of ILR. Those graduates know comp. Many others come in and say, this is great. I can use my math skills, but I don't have to be a math teacher because that wasn't exactly the path I wanted to follow. Well, how about you? How did you get into it? Yeah. It's interesting, too, because for the longest time, my kids, when they were younger, didn't even understand what I did. Nobody um, does. Nobody does. <laughs> so, so I started off as a paralegal with a law firm in uh, on Wall Street, and I got into training and development at the end of that stint. Um, I stayed home for a couple of years and had my family. I went back to school and got a human resources degree, and I applied to a job that was two days a week because I didn't want to go back to work full time. And it was uh, for litigation support specialist. So I was able to leverage my legal background with the comp. And we did a lot of litigation support for compensation matters. And then as my kids grew up, I grew up. So I was working two days, then I was working three days. Once they started to drive, I went to four days. And once they were really on their own, I went full time. So again, as they grew up, I grew up. And we were a standalone company at one point, and we joined Eisner Amper in 2020. So we were what you would call a boutique firm. And um, we were privately held, privately owned. And I was the COO and then became the CEO of that company and then joined Eisner Amper. And now again, we just have such a deep bench of expertise and services. That's fantastic. We Sorry, Vin, go ahead. I was just going to say, what would you say your most popular service is? Salary administration. So base pay administration and executive comp. So executive comp goes into the realm of reasonableness of compensation, competitiveness, uh, long-term incentives. What do we need to do to not only attract the CEOs here, but keep them here? Along the same lines, what would you say your most underrated service is? Honestly, at this point, we don't have one because <laughs> I would say that at one time it was sales comp, but with what's happening in industry right now in the economy, that's jumped way up on the list because what worked five years ago isn't working right now from a commission perspective. See, I was thinking along the same, oh, go, go ahead, sorry. No, I'm <laughs> I apologize for asking a question for like two minutes now. I, I was thinking exactly the same thing. The economy is very different and the job market is very different. And I'm I'm fascinated to understand how you keep track, how you keep it all in, in the bucket that you know about. Do you know what I mean? Like, sorry. So that's not a very smart question, but you get the gist, right? No, 
I mean, that's a great question. First of all, exposure, because we have so many clients. So just being exposed to everybody's issues and challenges. And then we're all analysts. So we're curious, we're researchers, we have a huge library. We have a lot of like lab rooms where we'll just sit, have a problem and kind of discuss what we know, what we've learned. We're all certified, so we have to keep up our certifications. So that's a continual learning. But this is a position for somebody who's curious because again, there's always something out there to learn. All right. So I I was going to say, when we talk about changing worlds, um, the first thing that I thought of, and you mentioned it, was the handbooks. Um, I don't know if a lot of companies are necessarily getting their handbook written from scratch, but I have to imagine that a lot of them have to review it at this point. The world has changed so much. Um, What's that process like? It is. So when you talk about uh, return to office policies, um, hybrid, we're seeing a lot of four day work weeks coming up. So if you want to talk about a hot topic, so some organizations are saying, let's compress five days into four. Others are saying, let's get rid of those eight hours. Let's find a way to be a little bit more efficient. And let's give everybody a 32 hour work week. And let's not reduce pay. So you talk about something that really is something to discuss. Yeah. Um, So again, And then the handbooks also um, performance management. So the rating scales, how someone is transferred. We're seeing a lot of companies doing what we call internal recruiting. So in order to keep talent under the roof, we're job posting, but we're also training so that you can actually post for a job internally. You know, back in the day, if you wanted to transfer to another uh, department, it was kind of looked down upon because someone didn't want to lose the talent and someone didn't want to poach the talent. It isn't that way anymore. The company is looking at it. Let's keep talent here, no matter who takes the talent. So all of those policies need to be written into the employee handbook. So we actually have an employee handbook um, program coming up on November 8th. If uh, anybody wants to learn more about handbooks in general, uh, check out the website. And also, we just had our annual women's event where there was a panel on salary negotiation. And I wish I had known you over the summer because you would have been such an amazing addition to that panel. I, uh, I definitely am going to write your name down and I'm going to come knocking on your door maybe next, next spring or summer. Um, that would be great. Because the interesting thing is, you know, we get into the social piece of women negotiating their salaries. But there's so much power in data. And when you have data that gives you just that little extra confidence and you have something from which to work. And we have found even in um, entry level positions, when you have these tools, it empowers you even greater and takes you a little further away from that social stigma of women having to be tough in negotiations. So we have found that to be uh, very helpful. I had done some volunteer work for a women's organization and these were women in transition. And the energy in the room of just empowering them with the data, we also do job description writing. So I introduced them to certain positions that they may qualify for, that they didn't even realize they had the talent and skills for. It was- Bless you. Sorry, excuse me, go ahead. Sorry, Mary. It was- 
really a very uh, energizing experience for all in the room. So again, we say data is power for sure. What do you think about the um, the continued issue that women still make, what is it, 71, 73 cents on the dollar? Um, do you think that there's any movement for that? Or do you think that's just kind of status quo for a little while more? I think there's movement because in the salary administration work we do, we do something called building a salary structure. And then we slot all of the positions in the structure. We take it a step further and then do a pay equity analysis by gender, by age, by education, by time and position. And it becomes very apparent if there's an issue. And it could be an unintended unintended consequence, but companies are interested in learning and knowing. The other inequity many times is maybe the dollars are the same for the same position, but let's look at where the women are from a hierarchy perspective. Is everybody sitting in the middle? And then we have gender inequality from a management perspective. So companies are interested in exploring for sure. That's great to know. So then we have the DEI too. So that gets included also. So very much aware of the DEI piece of this also. And we kind of uh, encourage companies, even if they're not asking for it, we give it to them. Just because we have a commitment and an obligation to uncover things maybe somebody might not have thought about. ESG also is very much top of mind. And, you know, you have the environmental part, the governance part, but that S part, which is the social part, sometimes gets ignored also. So it really isn't about how much does this position get paid? It's a much wider conversation and almost an organizational development conversation. I think that's fantastic. I was going to ask a follow-up question um, that tied into DE&I, and that was about um, diversifying the C-suite, the decision makers in organizations who still tend to be men. I think I read somewhere that men named John are are in charge of like 75% of, of the companies in the world, men named John. <laughs> that's just men over six feet tall. So they say six, two and over, you'll find most CEOs in that height range. That's fascinating. Isn't it? Uh, Yes. And and it seems so arbitrary. So a woman who's very, very qualified versus a man who's tall, man gets the job. It's possible. You don't know that the guy wasn't qualified just because he's tall. I'm just putting that out. I'm not defending anything. It's just, you know, you you just overly (laughs) simplified that. And it isn't always men against women. It's men against men, too. So they're saying if you had two men, typically the taller one is in the CEO role. I don't know if it's true, but that's what research says. Man. That I mean, the other thing too, Kate, is uh, board seats. If you look at who's occupying board seats, that's a very un, uh, underrepresented uh, focus uh, on a gender perspective. There are many more men in board seats than women. Mm-hmm. Do you mean um, paid board seats or like not-for-profit board seats or both? Mostly oh. paid, uh, publicly okay. traded companies. Um I'm not sure about not-for-profits, but yes. But the awareness is there. So that's the positive side of this is that there's 
a lot of awareness of where the gaps are. And I think companies are very committed to correcting that, but it's not something that happens overnight. Yeah, I feel like um, companies have been paying a lot of lip service to it, but and and the data proves that diversifying boards and C-suites is good for the bottom lines of the companies, but they haven't fully in their hearts bought into it from from my perspective, from what I read in the Wall Street Journal and, and Harvard Business Review, it just seems like this is this is still a struggle for some reason. It is, most of our companies are privately held companies. So 50% of our business is in the privately held space. 50% is in the not-for-profit space, small percentage and publicly traded. And I have to say our clients are very much interested in diversifying and doing the right thing and being represented well, both at the executive level and at the staff level. So we do see the effort from where we sit. That makes me so happy. Thank you for saying that. Yes, we have great clients. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think on that note, we're going to take a quick break. And then uh, when we come back, we're going to play our lightning round. Welcome back, everyone. It is now time for our lightning round. Mary, are you ready? I am ready. All right. Uh, Favorite pizza topping? Very boring. Cheese. Cheese or extra cheese? (laughs) Just cheese. Just cheese. That's a really solid choice, though, because everybody likes it. Sure. Yeah. Some places will do that a lot better than others. You know, you got to make sure that you're going places where they're mixing in the spice and whatnot. Exactly. Exactly. That's true. That's true. All right. Greatest TV show ever made? Friends. Okay. I've recently been watching some friends, um, YouTube, you know, like one day YouTube was just like, let's try this. Here's a clip from an old (laughs) friends episode. And I was like, yeah, sure. And then, you know, you watch one. So YouTube's like, oh, you were into that. All right, here's another one. And you know, you just keep watching it. So it's been doing that to me lately. I actually own the whole series digitally, but instead I'm just choosing to watch like one little (laughs) curated video at a time on YouTube. (laughs) Same. Same. It's, it's, you know, that friendship, that fun um, on your own, make it happen. I I enjoy it. And and it's short enough to be able to watch it and walk away. Yeah, exactly. Totally agree. All right. Uh, Do you have a favorite restaurant in New Jersey? Uh, Savini's. Where's that? That That is in Allendale. And we have been having our holiday party there every year for the last 30 years. Wow. Yes. Consistently good Italian food, great management. That's our place. I just want to point out that most of the people who answer this question seem to land on Italian restaurants. Yeah. I'm not sure what I have to say about that at the moment, but you know. Just putting it out there. Yeah, it's it's an interesting data point. (laughs) It's consistent. It's consistent. Yeah. There are a lot of Italian restaurants in New Jersey. So that's, that's true. You know, just going to throw that out there. Not I was reading not- some article on like the top where like they were ranking countries by their food. So if you were a foodie and you were looking to go on vacation and oh. Italy ranked number one. And for some reason, I wasn't expecting that. You know, you were think I was thinking like it would be something really exotic and maybe 
some people Italian food is, but like, I don't know, like to us as Americans, that's so just everyday <laughs> basic that I didn't even yeah. consider that that would be number one, but it was like, eh. But I think part but, of the allure of Italy was the uh, freshness of it. So my right. daughter there this uh, fall, uh, spring, she can't eat pasta here. She lived on pasta there and it didn't bother her at all. So wow. I think it's the freshness and how they make the food, not so much mm -hmm. that it's Italian, but just the quality of it is how it ranks so high. Mm. I think that is true. And I think that in Italy, there are some special things that they do to food. Like, like I, I've never been, but I have a friend who went and she had this video of a waiter with this literal wheel of cheese you know, and they had carved out the center of it and they brought it to the table and they put her cooked pasta in the center of it and they twirled it around until it was completely coated in this fresh, beautiful cheese. And then they brought it from the cheese wheel onto her plate. And I'm like, nowhere in the United States have I ever heard or seen anything like that. That's special. That's yeah. really yes. special. <laughs> yeah, so that, I'm putting that on my list. Yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> All right. Next time uh, I go to a restaurant, I'm going to ask them if they have a giant wheel of cheese. <laughs> and if the answer is no, then I'm, you know, that's, that's going to be like one or two stars off the Yelp review right there. I would that's flip right. over the table and say, we're leaving. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are you a morning person or a night owl? Night owl. Yeah. Ooh, really? Absolutely. Yes, so you were absolutely. asking earlier, where do you find the time to watch TV? And that's, that's kind of where I plant it. Like if I'm up at like 11 or midnight, I'm watching like something, you know, but what do you do that late? I, we usually eat dinner at about nine o'clock because mm -hmm. I go to the gym at night Then we'll eat dinner at about nine o'clock. And then I just kind of wind down a little bit. And uh, I guess really the phone is, is what I do. I start to connect with my friends because during work, isn't yeah. much time for that. So I find my other night owls and connect <laughs> with my friends at night. Mm. That's a good answer. Good answer. All right, last question. How many cats is too many cats? <laughs> One. <laughs> One! <laughs> I knew it. As soon as you hesitated, I knew that was going to be the no, answer. No, I actually thought the hesitation was just going to be like, all right, can I say eight and get away with it? <laughs> oh, it's one. Dogs would be a different answer. but well, How many dogs is, is too many dogs? Um, four. Four? Wow. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Do you have a fenced in yard? Or are you thinking like you're walking these dogs every day? Fenced in yard. I mean, right. we don't have them anymore, but um, we've always had dogs. Now it's my daughter's turn. So now she's, I have my grand dogs now. One of my neighbors, um, she has like big dogs and she has a few of them. Like I want to say like in the ballpark of four or five and she walks them in shifts and I'm like, as as annoying as it is walking my one dog, you know, I can't even imagine. All right, next round, let's go. <laughs> you know, yeah. my daughter's right. dog is 60 pounds. She adopted him from Puerto Rico from the hurricane, and he, as a baby. And they said, oh, he'll probably be about 24 pounds. Well, now he's 60 pounds, so they were way <laughs> off on his wow. origin for sure. <laughs> That's too funny. Good for her. Yes. That's awesome. 
Yeah. All right. Well, that was the lightning round. Thank you so much for playing, Mary. Cool. That was um, great. Yeah, Mary, anything coming up you want to promote? Oh, we're uh, releasing a manufacturing and distribution survey. So we're going to, we've collected data on many positions in the manufacturing and distribution uh, industry. So we'll be releasing that and just, you know, encourage everybody to do their year end cleanup on the comp. You want to look back, see where you are from um, a competitive standpoint, and if you're well positioned going forward from uh, an equity perspective. Cool. At this point in the show, we like to kind of give people something they can connect with. So I was thinking, um, what are what are some trends in compensation right now that um, might be interesting to the audience? Trends that we're seeing really are new. HR professionals in their positions, even if they have 25 years of experience, they always reach out to us. So they're looking to make sure that what they've inherited is correct and kind of get help on the heavy lift items. Uh, another trend is to continue to market price positions to make sure that you're watching the market, so specifically for certain functional areas because the market is changing so quickly, and then performance pay. Uh, How does one watch the market? They call us and we have all of the surveys. <laughs> sure. And uh, we can provide them with how the market is moving. Wow. Oh. It sounded like I cut you off there. I didn't mean for that to be the end of the the list of things you were talking about. But okay, so no, if that's all, then um, the list oh, is endless. Really, uh, I mean, the trend is that everybody's using comp consultants now because the flavor of compensation is so much more technical, and there is so much risk mitigation that companies are interested in that they're looking at professionals right now instead of an HR generalist that may not have the exposure from a depth perspective and comp. So if somebody wants to get a hold of you, take advantage of your services, watch this market, how can they go about that? Uh, we have a website, compensationresources.com, and anybody can reach out to me directly at mrizzuti at compensationresources.com. R-I-Z-Z-U-T-I, two Z's, one T. Nice. Cool. Thank you so much. I think that's our show. That's Thank our show. You. Thank you to our listeners. I'm so glad. Yeah, it's, it's been great been having you. Fun. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Thank you to our listeners, especially the subscribers. We really appreciate the support. Um, Thank you to Mary Rizzuti with Eisner Amper and Compensation Resources for joining us today. It was such a pleasure. Pleasure was all mine. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you. All right. We'll see you all next time. Bye.